What is up, podcast? This is the very first physionic podcast, or official physionic podcast, I should say. I've uploaded a few Facebook rips and YouTube rips and things of that nature, different audio files, but uh, this is an actual recording that's simply for the podcast. I'm going to try and do this for every week or at least every article that I release uh, that, that comes out, every brand new article, so I can detail it in far more detail than I can or than I usually do for my videos. Um, I go into some detail with my videos, but considering I'm trying to reach a broader audience, uh, I realize that some of these uh, details that I go over in my article, which are very science-oriented, detail-oriented, that they can be a little bit overwhelming. So, but there should be a auditory version of that article uh, in, in some form or fashion, and that's why I thought a podcast would be perfect for that, just so I can keep cranking out content and keep getting exposure and hopefully be able to deliver some value. So in this week's podcast, I wanted to talk about rhabdomyolysis. If you're not familiar with what rhabdomyolysis is, it is typically akin to uh, acute kidney injury. And one way you might be aware of rhabdomyolysis is actually through uh, browning of your urine. That's right. Let me repeat that, the browning of your urine. So when you pee, your urine is a dark, or not dark as in orange, I'm talking dark as in brown, uh, nearing black or red in those areas. Uh, it'll be pretty distinct. You'll see it and you'll be like, uh-oh, something's definitely wrong. And that's that can be due to rhabdomyolysis. And when we think rhabdo, rhabdo people often abbreviate it as rhabdo, when we think rhabdo, we typically think workouts. So if you've ever heard somebody, and this is kind of a pet peeve of mine, not because of rhabdo necessarily, but uh, when people say, oh, I could barely walk when I left the gym. Well, first of all, that's pretty counterproductive for a number of reasons, but I'm not going to go into those for, for, this, for this episode. But secondly, because you are increasing your chances of uh, suffering from rhabdomyolysis. Now, in most cases, people can handle this, and it's perfectly fine. And usually, uh, it's not going to happen to somebody that's well-trained because they've adjusted, they figured out exactly uh, how to go about their training cycle and how intense they have to go and how much rest they need and their nutrition and all that stuff, which definitely keeps uh, this rhabdo at bay. But... For newbies, people that just begin or they took a long layoff from the gym and then they go in the gym and then they just annihilate themselves thinking that that is the best way, the quickest way to get back up to their usual form or into a whole new body or that that's even necessary for them to do that, well, then there is a risk of rhabdomyolysis occurring. So, rhabdo being related to the kidneys, but actually in more precise terms, it's actually related to your muscles. So, in the video that we'll be releasing, I don't know if it's released already, but in that video, I talk about how your muscles can kill you. Seems kind of strange to say, but it is absolutely true uh, when we talk about rhabdo. Uh, that's essentially what we're talking about. We're talking about your muscles killing your kidneys and if your kidneys go well 
we can technically live, you know, dialysis and whatnot, but um, life isn't going to be great. So rhabdomyolysis can be certainly a dangerous condition, but it's not only from lifting, and I don't want you to think about this in a uh, vacuum of just, oh, workouts. You know, if I don't work out, I don't have to worry about it, because that's not true. Uh, lifting is, is common. That's, that's something a lot of people do, and uh, that's why I'm, I'm alluding to that. But it can also actually happen from crush injuries uh, if something falls on you and uh, your muscles at a certain uh, extremity start to die off or surgery, extended surgeries, uh, certain muscle diseases, as well as viral infections and a bunch of other things. So really anything that's going to impact your muscle cells specifically and lead them to die can lead to rhabdomyolysis. So, having said that, what is rhabdo? Like, in, in all reality, like down to the cellular level, what is rhabdo? I mentioned that it has to do with the myocytes. It has to de deal with your muscle cells, myocytes being muscle cells, and how those can kill your kidneys but your muscle cells don't move like unlike for example your immune cells your immune cells can move from one part of your body to another part of your body uh, i like how i'm using my hands here trying to describe something but there's no video so it's it's kind of pointless but you, you get the idea that you have these immune cells macrophages neutrophils all these kinds of different uh, immune cells that are able to move from let's say your little toe all the way up to uh, your head. So they move from point to point. So how do your muscle cells, which are stationary, they're stuck, they're, they're bound at two ends, right? They're, they're, well, usually at two ends by your tendons to your bone. How do those actually kill your kidneys? And that's actually a really fascinating process. It truly is. So let's, let's go through a little bit of that physiology, or actually a lot of that physiology. So hopefully you're, you're ready to process some, some pretty in-depth information. So our body's made up of muscle, at least partly is made up of muscle, and that muscle is made up of myocytes, so muscle cells, which are long and stringy and very tiny, uh, but they're stringy cells that attach uh, on either end by tendons to our bones. And we have, you know, millions and millions of these uh, that make up our entire muscle belly. So, you know, when you flex your bicep, that, that thing grows, right? But um, that's because those muscle cells, millions of those muscle cells are contracting at the same time to create that, um, that, that growth, that temporary growth. And these, these muscle cells, just like most other cells, or really, I guess, any other cell, has a cellular membrane that gives it its definition. So it keeps what's in, supposed to be inside that cell inside, and it keeps what's supposed to be outside of that cell outside. That makes sense. And that membrane for muscle specifically is called the sarcolemma. Okay, so the sarcolemma protects the cell, the insides of the cell from the outside and vice versa. And we're actually going to talk about that vice versa because that is what's truly important when we're talking about rhabdo. And along this muscle fiber, muscle cell, muscle fiber, I'm going to use these interchangeably, but if I say myocyte, muscle fiber, or muscle cell, those are all the same thing. 
along this muscle fiber, which is very long, they tend to be very, very long. So they're not round like you might think of when you think of a cell. You have this network of of tubes and 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 bags, almost like bags that that move across that are they're just stuck in in all these different areas across your entire fiber and they house calcium and when you think of calcium you typically think I mean most people think of you know drinking milk and then uh, of course then thinking about your bones right that that's what most people think of why do you need calcium oh because I want strong bones and that's certainly not that's not inaccurate but calcium as a molecule actually has a lot of uh, different functions in the body. And one of those, one of the primary functions that you could argue is probably its most important function is cell signaling. So intercellular and intracellular cell signaling. And these, these tubes and this, this uh, network that goes across the entire muscle fiber is called the sarcoplasmic reticulum. So this sarcoplasmic reticulum houses this calcium and can release this calcium. So that and there are other structures as well like T-tubules uh, that... that act on this, but I'm not going to go into that. Just know that sarcoplasmic reticulum, think calcium, okay? And of course, with any cell, or I guess, I guess I shouldn't say any cell, but most cells have mitochondria. And mitochondria, I think from biology course, you probably know that it's especially important for the production of energy through ATP, adenosine triphosphate, ATP. The, the energy currency of the cell. I'm sure you've, you've probably run into that before. But mitochondria do, oh, so, so much more than just create ATP. That is their, their, I suppose you could say that's their primary function, but they do a lot more than just uh, create ATP. But we're going to foca focus on it as its creation of ATP and a little bit more than that as well. So, Mitochondria are also within that their mitochondria because there's two layers to a mitochondria is the outer membrane and the inner membrane. Just like you might find with this sarcolemma for the cell, the mitochondria has its own membranes that protect it from what's inside the cell. So you're starting to see, you know, cells are pretty complex, uh, pretty complex beings, and and within these mitochondria. We have these complexes, five of them to be exact. And these five complexes are what are at least part of the network that allows us to create ATP. So if any one of those complexes or any protein that makes up those complexes or is between those complexes is lost, then essentially that complex becomes useless. Uh, because you can't, you need each one of those things to do a particular job, and then we get uh, ATP out of that. So, mitochondria have this ability to create ATP through 
a stepwise fashion. So going through complex one, complex two, complex three, complex four. And then once it reaches complex five, what it does is it uses a used molecule of ATP known as ADP, adenosine diphosphate, and creates ATP from that. Now, where does calcium come into this? Well, when we contract our muscles, we use calcium as a, as a signal and calcium is released from this sarcoplasmic reticulum and it attaches to different proteins that allow us to contract our muscles. And that's as, as much detail as I'm going to go in there because I don't want to focus too much on the contraction aspect. Now, calcium also has an impact on your mitochondria. And there's a good reason why your sarcoplasmic reticulum is actually very close in in most cells that you look at the sarcoplasmic reticulum is very close in proximity to your mitochondria so when we do tons of damage let's say let's take our lifting example we we go way overboard especially for a newbie we we go to failure on every set and then we come back for more and we push our body, we push our body and we push our body. Those cells are very capable of dealing with stress. But if you're brand new to the gym, they're not going to be able to sustain that level of effort forever. And if you're in the gym for two, three hours on your first time out, uh, you have not built up the the adaptability of those cells so those cells haven't grown they haven't been attacked with all these stimuli that you're these mechanical stimuli that you're creating so you're creating a lot of micro damage but you're not just creating micro damage you know within the cell and then of course on the sarcolemma it's possible that you're also creating so much damage that you're starting to create holes in that sarcolemma you're starting to to create damage in that sarcoplasmic reticulum to the point where this sarcoplasmic reticulum starts leaking out calcium that it does not want to leak out. Your cell strictly maintains ion balance. So talking about potassium, sodium, uh, calcium, all of those are strictly held in, in control with different pumps, different uh, systems to, to move these ions out and allow them in. And, you know, it's, it's very strictly regulated. So you're causing a ton of damage to this cell wall, the sarcolemma, as well as within the cell, the actual proteins that allow you to contract, as well as this sarcoplasmic reticulum, to the point where you start seeing this leakage of calcium that's essentially uncontrollable. And because the mitochondria are so close to, to this sarcoplasmic reticulum, they actually also have a, a uh, transporter, that essentially a gateway that allows this mitochondria into, or this calcium, excuse me, into the mitochondria. And it's called a mitochondrial calcium uniporter. So this MCU allows this calcium into the mitochondria, and there are two things that can happen if there are too much. So, so there's a reason why the mitochondria is, has different membranes to keep it separate from the rest of the cell. 
And the big reason is because it needs to maintain a particular electronegative charge. And if it loses that electronegative charge, then it, well, we'll see in just a second. It does exactly what I'm about to describe. So this calcium comes in, which is a positive charge, has a positive charge attributed to it, and it starts to change the mitochondria's electronegative charge. Uh, not what the mitochondria wants, if it could think for itself. And what ends up happening is that one, because of so much calcium entering the mitochondria through this mitochondrial calcium uniporter, that you start seeing mitochondria start swelling. So this massive amount of calcium is leading to this mitochondria to start growing and start bowing outwards. And you can actually see pictures of this. I, I have a few pictures uh, on my on the website. If you're interested, you can check out the article. It's, of course, all free. So you can check out some of these actual images. And I'm not talking about diagrams. I'm talking about actual images that people have taken of cells that have gone through this process. And the second thing that the mitochondria does is... Once it realizes, it essentially gets to a state where it realizes, I can't save myself. I'm done. So it'll, it'll go through a bunch of different changes, but one of those key changes is activating what's called apoptotic-inducing proteins. And these apoptotic-inducing proteins <clears throat> leave the mitochondria and start interacting with other proteins in the cell and essentially saying... Uh, we we need to kill ourselves <laughs> it sounds it sounds rough but that is very much what ends up happening so these proteins and these different uh, degradation systems that are within your cells start to consume and break up these mitochondria into individual pieces and start to essentially consume them and ends up getting rid of them because they're so damaged, because they're so far beyond any sort of repair. Not only that, your mitochondria will start to disassociate what's called a cytochrome C protein. And a cytochrome C protein goes back to uh, our complexes. So the complexes that make ATP through the mitochondria have proteins between them that allow the Whatever's produced in, let's say, complex two get, can be carried over to complex three. So we have different proteins that allow us to do that. Because just like anything, you need resources to move from one place to another place to be able to create more of, well, in this case, ATP. And the cytochrome C is found between complex three and complex four. And what the mitochondria will do is release that and that is yet another signal of we're done we can't do this we can't sustain ourselves we are beyond repair and this whole system all because of calcium all because of calcium and i'm sure there 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 are many other uh, signals as well but in this particular situation calcium release is the big driver and that leads to what's called apoptosis. And apoptosis is essentially programmed cell death. It's, it's death of the cell, and it's perfectly natural. We go through this process uh, plenty of times, but 
typically your muscle cells do not want to go through it because uh, your muscle cells that you're born with are, and this is somewhat debated in the literature, but that's essentially the number of muscle cells you have for the rest of your life. So losing any of those muscle cells is, well, a, a no-go. It's not something that you want. So in our example of going to weightlift, uh, you wanted to grow your muscles, and in the end, what you did, if you went way, way overboard and you got rhabdo, then in that case, then you actually ended up doing the opposite. You ended up destroying some of your cells to the point where you can't get them back, or at least debatably, you can't get them back. So once many of these mitochondria start to implode or explode or however you want to put it, end up swelling and end up dying and telling the rest of the cell, hey, we're, we're done. What happens is your ATP levels drop. And that makes sense. If you've got less mitochondria, if you've got less functional mitochondria that, you know, even if they're around, if they've lost certain components that allow them to work, then of course, yeah, your, your ATP levels drop. And that is catastrophic for the cell because the cell... During this time, during this entire time that calcium's been released, what it's actually also trying to do is, is actually pump a lot of this calcium back into the sarcoplasmic reticulum. And for it to do that, it is using ATP at a massive rate, massive amounts of ATP to pump this calcium back into the SR. And with that, it will actually also try and pump calcium out of the cell entirely. Some, I mean, at this point, the, the SR may be just be leaking so much calcium that it's also going to try and pump this calcium out into the bloodstream, into the interstitial fluid, and then subsequently into the bloodstream. So your cell is essentially freaking out. It's trying to do anything and everything it possibly can. And yet these mitochondria that it's relying on to get its ATP no longer are around. They can't, they can't maintain it. There aren't enough of them anymore that, that, that can maintain the cell's energy demands. And this is the process in which uh, the, the cell goes through apoptosis. But for rhabdomyolysis, it's actually more of what's called a process called necrosis. And necrosis is a lot like apoptosis. They're very similar. But necrosis is essentially when too much trauma has occurred to the cell, leading to uh, it essentially disintegrating. So it's not, you, you could still argue it's programmed in a way, but it's not quite as programmed uh, as as apoptosis is, because apoptosis is perfectly natural, even though not so much for our muscle cells. So your cell then essentially undergoes necrosis okay so your muscle cell is now dead and think of this as like thousands of times over you know it's not just one muscle cell dies and then you have kidney problems <laughs> um, that that would be terrible uh, it's thousands of folds times over uh, where you're losing many 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 cells and all of these cells end up their sarcolemma starts to break apart their mitochondria are gone, 
their nucleus starts to eat itself. It starts to decompose. I mean, all these different things start happening. And again, if you want pictures of this stuff, I've got it in, in my article. So you can, you can check that out or you can check the video. I'll probably post, um, I haven't made it yet, but I'll probably post some, some really cool, uh, visuals of, of what this stuff looks like. And at this point, Everything that's inside, that was inside this muscle cell separated by the sarcolemma is now open and free to interact with the environment. Okay, so this is where things get, well, I think things have already gotten really interesting, but this is where things get, start applying to rhabdo. So the muscle cell contents, they release tons of different things, creatine kinase, uh, lactate dehydrogenase, uh, calcium, of course, uh, potassium, phosphates, all kinds of different things. But importantly, in our scenario, we're concerned with myoglobin. Myoglobin is a protein that houses oxygen within muscle cells. So, well, it houses yes it houses oxygen so it has iron attached to it and that iron allows it to interact with oxygen and when it's within cells that's not a problem that's actually very beneficial um, although myoglobin has the unfortunate and maybe fortunate um, maybe i'll make another podcast about this but has the in this case unfortunate uh circumstance of or quality in which that when oxygen interacts with the iron that's attached to uh, myoglobin, it creates what's called a reactive oxygen species or a free radical. And you may have heard about these uh, in relation to cancer, in relation to a multitude of different diseases. There are a lot of theories as to how these ROSs, reactive oxygen species, impact our health. But there are positives to them and there are negatives and usually people attribute it to the negatives uh, because these ROSs, these free radicals, uh, do a lot of damage to surrounding tissue. They start ripping apart molecules because they are, <laughs> in layman's terms, they, they're unsatisfied. So they need, uh, they start ripping away molecules from, from other uh, tissues that are around them. And that's not so much a problem when we're talking about inside the cell because the cell and many of these cells that we have in our body have this system, these, this antioxidant system that allows us to neutralize these reactive oxygen species before they can really do anything. So that's not that big of a problem. But as we now know, the cell no longer exists. So that's a bit of a problem now because now this myoglobin is just spitting off reactive oxygen species, but there's nothing around to control it, to keep it uh, docile in, in a manner of speaking. So this myoglobin then eventually travels through your blood system and just like anything, it's going to end up in your kidneys. So that is one major, major issue with rhabdo. And I'll touch on that in just a little bit again. But this bursting, when you have all these cells that burst and all this different, all these different contents that are find, finding themselves in the bloodstream, 
what's happening to the rest of your body, the rest of your body, for example, your brain, your pituitary gland is saying, okay, uh, we need to control uh, water because water is actually being sucked up by most of these other cells. Uh, most of your other uh, muscle cells that have also undergone a certain amount of damage, maybe not enough to completely die off, but have uh, been damaged enough that they need to uh, pull in water, uh, sequester water, that means that there's less water in the bloodstream and you need a substantial amount because it needs to stay liquid. Once it starts turning solid, we you have some serious problems, uh, talking blood clots and all kinds of other issues. So it needs to be, it needs to stay at least somewhat fluid and the only way to do that is by maintaining water. But the other aspect of course is blood pressure. Your body has to maintain its blood pressure because if it doesn't, then your cardiovascular system freaks out and you have all kinds of different other issues. And it's very good at it. Your body is exceptional at maintaining blood pressure. So your brain through this pituitary gland sends out a signal through a hormone called antidiuretic hormone. This antidiuretic hormone, as you might imagine, it's an antidiuretic. So you are your kidneys are being sent the signal to retain water. Hey, don't don't urinate as much. Okay? Cool. That's good. I mean, that's that's a good sign. That means that you're going to be retaining water a little bit more and along with that though, there's vasoconstriction. So your vessels become smaller because if you've got less volume in your veins, then you can't have it at the same uh you don't want your veins to be the same opening, have the same opening because you've got less water going through that or less blood going through that. So what you end up doing is clamping down to restrict it and then that's going to increase your blood pressure. And you can do this with something as simple as like just going out to a garden hose and just putting your thumb over it. You're creating more pressure because you're closing that hole. And that's essentially what your veins do. They just close in on themselves going through, again, this process is called vasoconstriction. Okay, so ADH, antidiuretic hormone, is released from your pituitary. Vasoconstriction is occurring. Renin, or renin, however you want to pronounce it, also releases another hormone called angiotensin. And all of these all act on trying to maintain water, so trying to stop the kidneys from urinating as much. They're going to have to at some point, but they're going to try and control and reabsorb water as much as they possibly can. So all of this means that you've got less water around, you've got tons of myoglobin in your system, and it's all going to end up in your kidneys, specifically in what's called the nephrons of your kidneys. The nephrons are essentially a tubular network that allow blood flow in with a bunch of metabolites that you want to remove, and they filtrate those uh, that blood and then they release that blood back into the system and then you've got essentially clean blood and that's if you think of like something like dialysis that's essentially what you're doing in in that situation as well so these ne nephrons and we have thousands and millions of these nephrons that make up our kidneys they suddenly are the gateway to us either living or dying at this point because 
they have to be able to filtrate this blood that is now far more concentrated with myoglobin than it was and that means that you're getting less blood flow and less speedy blood flow the kinetics of this blood flow uh, might be lower as well leading to decreases in your ability to filtrate this blood of myoglobin and anything else that's that's been released by these muscle cells and this could happen anywhere you know in your arms in your legs or whatever eventually it'll end up in your in your kidneys and these nephrons and these nephrons now are stuck with all this myoglobin and all this myoglobin is releasing all these reactive oxygen species so less blood perfusion higher myoglobin concentrations, much higher reactive oxygen species tearing away at all the different tissues in your kidneys, you can imagine that creates a lot of stress. And your kidneys are trying to protect themselves as well. So what they do is go through further vasoconstriction, even more. Why not? Because they're trying to, to limit the blood flow that's delivering all these bad like damaging substances to that organ to those cells that make up that organ so now we have a double action of vasoconstriction we have global throughout the entire body we have vasoconstriction and the actual kidneys themselves are also vasoconstricting so at the kidney site you have double vasoconstriction meaning that there's almost no blood flow getting to your kidneys so now you're suffering from ischemia, a lack of oxygen delivery, a lack of uh, nutrient delivery to actual f actually feed the kidneys. And then secondly, you have all these reactive oxygen species from this myoglobin that your body is telling you don't urinate it out. Don't urinate it out nearly as much as you normally would if we had more water in, in the system. So your kidneys are under this massive amount of pressure and they don't know what to do. They're trying to protect themselves, but you've screwed them in so many ways. And you're, you're, the rest of your body is like, okay, well, protect us too. So your kidneys are going through this massive amount of stress. And eventually what ends up happening, it's pretty rapid, uh, especially with something like rhabdo, you have uh, what's called uh, rhabdomyolysis and then you have uh, acute kidney injury or acute kidney disease and if that ends up persisting or if it's you know powerful enough you can go from a perfectly healthy kidney uh, a couple days ago to just a few days later your kidneys are shutting down and your cells have died in your renal system has died and you are on the verge of, well, uh, not living for much longer. So there it is. You know, that's the physiology. That's the incredible nature of the physiology. And I don't want you, I've never interpreted this as a situation in which your body's trying to hurt you. It's always, 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 always trying to protect you but it has to prioritize certain things like blood pressure like maintaining water in in the system because I mean there's there's a good reason why the majority of our bodies made up of water so hopefully that gives you an understanding a far more clear physiological understanding of the pathophysiology that occurs with rhabdomyolysis and 
just try and keep that in mind in the future, you know, especially if you're really into weight training and you, or you're just starting out, take it easy. It's, it's not even, it's, it's not even like you have to go all out, you know, just go and stimulate the muscles and they'll be a hundred percent fine. They'll adapt and you just keep doing it over and over and over again over time. And you'll see all of those benefits as opposed to going all out and just killing yourself in the gym or in certain situations you can't avoid, you know, surgery. Some people just have to go through surgery. That's understandable. But there are certain treatments that you can use. But sometimes rhabdo can be so bad that there's nothing we can do. You know, you've just done too much damage. All right. Well, with that said... Hopefully you found this podcast episode informative, and I hope that I can keep delivering content for you. For sure, you're going to see a lot more, uh, you know, rips and different short-form uh, podcasts out there as well from from me, uh, just ripping off of, uh, you know, subscriber questions on YouTube and and uh, the uh, Nick videos and uh, the stuff that I put on Facebook and a bunch of other content that I'm trying to release as much as possible. All right, well, if you'd like to actually see all of this stuff, then you can check out the links that I will have in this podcast uh, description, and you know what to do. Subscribe, share it if you think that it's informative, and I will hopefully have the pleasure of speaking with you next time. Have a good one.